here. So I will go ahead and call tonight's meeting to order. Um, I do not believe there's any changes to the agenda for topics, but we may move discussion item B, the baseball property transfer with the city of Wall Lake, up on the agenda, uh, just because Chris needs to leave for a meeting. So besides that change, are there any other changes? Otherwise, I'd entertain a motion to approve. So moved. Second. Second. Motion and a second. All of those in favor of approving the agenda? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. East Sac County empowers all students to become productive, responsible citizens of an ever-changing global society. So we'll take a minute now for public input on non-agenda items. I have an item, but yes. it sounds, uh, you have an agenda item? No. I would like to address academics and behavior. Okay. And I'll have a proposal in a few minutes and allow an introduction. This is all related. I'm Quinn. I'm, uh, I'm as Lakeview as Lakeview gets, and I'm as publicly educated as there is in this state. Patrick Quinn came here in 1880, Irish, southeastern Ireland. That's the year this town became a town. At the end of that year, it was incorporated, so we've been here every month. He couldn't read. And he carried a newspaper around town so people would think that he could read. His son, Edward, could read, but he did not go to this school, but a lot of my great aunts and uncles did way over 100 years ago. Edward's son, Kenneth, is in the class of 1944. And both he and my mother were smart, and they both went to college. I was born at Loring in 1964, C.D. Gibson. And... Uh, the very month I was born in SAC, Bruce Gantz walked across the stage downstairs and got his high school diploma. Bruce Gantz becomes the chair of ENT, Otorhinolaryngology in Iowa City. And we're just going to have to leave it that that's a distinguished position and he's a distinguished person. We're acquainted. He stepped down from the chair, but he's still practicing. That's May of 1964, so I'm in the class of 1982, and in that 18 years that I grew up here, five of us went to medical school, Bruce Gantz and me. I've got an older brother named Bruce, pathologist. He went to Stanford. My neighbor and friend, Max Lundgren, retired OB. He went to Creighton, and uh, Steve Schwarzkopf is deceased, but he was a psychiatrist. There were also three DPMs, surgeons who take care of foot disorders, Alvin Rohde, Rick Schaden's deceased, and Phil Maynard just retired out in Nebraska a couple years ago. And as of a year ago, Doug Pick still practiced in dentistry in West Des Moines. So that's five MDs, three DPMs, and a DDS in 18 years. Nine doctors in 18 years. But there's more. My mom and her friends counted like 15 to 20. It's basically every other year, but I think there were some years there were two. And there's all kinds of things you can do in your life, but this particular endeavor, uh, it reflected well on the school and it reflected well on the community. And uh, I consider myself the last in many ways, at least for Iowa City. We were all baby boomers. 
I'm a product of the border regions, Ames and Iowa City. And even my training was at the university hospitals and other large hospitals. It's all in Iowa. And I practiced in Des Moines. And uh, so I'm as Iowa as you can get. I retired in 2014, and I'm a lazy, grumpy bachelor. And I'm enjoying myself. And the best thing to say about it, to describe it, is there's no, no, nothing to answer to. You can't imagine this. And this goes on for years and years. Until a year ago, I was asked to come up here as part of a small group about academics. We all know Iowa used to be number one. And you're looking at a 98 percentile child. Basic skills. All my life I've been told I'm smart. And I've been told that this school is somewhere between the 25th and the 50th percentile and that there's 679 high schools in this state that are doing better than this high school. 679. Iowa, you're closer to this than me, but the numbers, they're somewhere between 35 and 44th in the nation from first. And as a nation, you can say, we trail everybody except these Balkan states. It's Eastern European, Middle East type countries. It's Bulgaria, Romania, Greece, Turkey, Kazakhstan was on this list of about 10. On the other hand, Central and Western Europe, all, certainly Scandinavia, minus Iceland, I was surprised, UK, Canada, Pacific Rim, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau, Singapore, Australia, and New Zealand all lead the United States. This is not academic decline. This is academic decimation. It's a massacre. I'm not that old. We are soft, and you never want to be soft. And you can't make fun of Patrick Quinn anymore. Ireland leads the United States in science, read, mathematics, and reading, all three major groups in education. That's quite a statement. My cousins didn't have running water when I was there. A year ago, I got to meet Principal, I knew him to say hi to, Principal Litterer. And uh, I was just very impressed with him. And I, I said, boy, you just seem great for this. I just thought Bud McRae was yelling at you, and now I know there's more to it. <laughs> and uh, I said, I, do you have another five or ten years? He's younger than me. And he goes, uh, I, he laughed. And he said, I don't think I've got ten more years in me. I go back to my walks and my books and my movies and the occasional jar of Guinness. Eight months later at Halloween, here, here's the Lakeview Resort. Principal resignation and behavior problems at the school. And I went to that next school board meeting. It was the one in SAC with the two state congressmen. And there was a parade of people to the microphone about behavior problems. I've misbehaved plenty in my life, but it's different than this. And what we did was fun. And this is different. How can I help you? Lazy, grumpy, bachelor, well-to-do, Lakeview retired. Single doctors play a fortune in Texas, and this is a public school. Enroll me. Get me in your classroom. At least a couple of classes. I'll show you how to do this. I'll tell you everything <coughs> I'm doing. I will outperform. You tell me what 
you name the curriculum and you tell me when. I'll start tomorrow, next month, next semester. I will outperform anybody on this board, any of your faculty, the students, the parents, anybody in this town. I'll give you West Sac County in addition to East Sac County. I'm going to give you Richardson, Muggenberg, and Peck. There's one person I'm worried about, and she's in this room right now, and her name be Mrs. Halber, but I'm going to beat her too. The point of this is not to beat Mrs. Halber or a 15-year-old from Auburn, Iowa. They're my teammates. But if anybody wants to play Beat the Doctor, you're on. I'm too proud. Academics is competition. The word is inexact to a group like us that's supposed to be well-rounded and lifelong learners. But academics is competition. Whenever you've got numbers, you fill in circles on a standardized exam and they send back a percentage correct. A percentile, such as the 85th or the 90th, gives you a letter grade, such as A. A is going to buy you four points. B is going to buy you three points. Numbers, numbers, numbers. 12 slots, 19 applicants. This is competition. The word is inexact, but it's the best word we've got. And this, if you don't like competition, go to a different planet. We're not keeping up. No more, there can't be excuses. And this has nothing to do with making friends and being a good citizen in the classroom. And if somebody don't like you because you're first or somebody don't like you because you're last, they're not your friend anyway. That's a very important lesson, but academics is competition. Last, the other good thing about me is behavior. There's a long list of educators in this state. Whatever your impression of me is right now or before tonight, they found me to be a joy in the room. And this North Wing, we were, kindergarten was downtown. They were building that. That was grade school. Third door on the right was Mrs. Christian, second grade. She practically giggled throughout my conference. I was there and both my parents, my dad was there too. Well-mannered, smart, and fun. Again, whatever your impression, I'm a lot of fun or I don't participate. And the last thing is letters of introduction are important unless you just stay in one place. And uh, these letters are entirely about behavior. They might mention you got an A- minus in their class or something, but it's all about behavior. There has to be somebody who knows you and knows what you're trying to do and they support you. And in my situation, this was professors in Ames in the 1980s and Iowa City professors in the 1990s. Letters to directors of admission, training programs, and private practice groups. And you will find me to be a gentleman scholar. Thank you for listening to me, and let's beat Ireland. Thank you. Appreciate the comments. Thank you. Okay. Are there any other comments? I'm not going to nearly be able to follow this guy entertaining us. <clears throat> I've got a thing I've handed out to you. I'm just going to yes. read it out loud. Okay. As public education is the cornerstone of democracy, it is vital to ensure that school board meetings are a safe place for all voices to be heard. However, when white Christian nationalists participate in these meetings, they may attempt to influence educational policies or reflect their own religious or cultural values. 
rather than those of the diverse student population. By recognizing the language, symbols, and actions of white Christian nationalists, school boards can take proactive steps to prevent the erosion of inclusion in equitable educational environments. According to several studies, rural areas, like ours, may be more vulnerable to extremist beliefs and activities due to a variety of factors such as economic <coughs> decline, social isolation, and political polarization. The Southern Poverty Law Center found that rural areas have become hotspots for white nationalist groups and other far-right organizations. The Center for American Progress also notes that rural areas have higher rates of hate group activity than urban areas. Moreover, churches in rural areas often have a more homogenous congregation and less exposure to diverse perspectives, which can contribute to the spread of extremist beliefs. School boards may be vulnerable to white Christian nationalists because these individuals often target local politics and education as a means of spreading their beliefs and gaining political power. They may attempt to infiltrate school boards in order to shape education policy to align with their values and, and promote their worldview to young people. Additionally, white Christian nationalists may see school boards as a way to gain influence over their communities and promote their agenda at the local level. It is important to recognize the signs of white Christian nationalism and work to counter its influence in all areas, including education. Understanding the beliefs and tactics of these individuals is crucial in order to protect the principles of secular education, religious freedom, and diversity in our schools. Following are the major tenets of white Christian nationalist movement. If you hear someone expressing a combination of any of the, of any of the following, they may be a white Christian nationalist. One, they believe that the United States is a Christian nation and that laws and policies should reflect Christian-only values. In fact, the Founding Fathers were careful to include provisions in the U.S. Constitution that would protect religious freedom and prevent the establishment of a state religion. The First Amendment of the Constitution states that Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This language reflects the Founders' belief that religion should be a personal matter separate from the workings of government. Two, white Christian nationalists believe that the white race is superior and that it's under threat from non-white immigrants, minorities, and other groups. Three, they support strict immigration policy, policies that prioritize the interests of white Americans over those of other groups. Four, they oppose multiculturalism and view it as a threat to the Christian way of life. Five, they express hostility towards non-Christian religions, especially Islam. Six, they may use coded language or symbols that reference white supremacy or white nationalism, such as the Confederate flag, the 14 words, or the okay hand gesture. Seven, they use certain words and phrases that are common in white nationalist and far-right circles, such as globalists, cultural Marxism, replacement theory, woke, critical race theory, and white genocide. Eight, they support the policies that restrict or limit the rights of women, LGBTQ people, and other marginalized groups. Nine, they express a nostalgia for a mythical golden age of America where white Christian values were dominant. Ten, they may use language that emphasizes the importance of preserving Western civilization or traditional values. Eleven, they express a mistrust or hostility towards the media, 
public schools, and universities, which they believe are grooming children to become LGBTQ plus and or sexual partners to the administration and teachers. Twelve, they may express anti-Semitic views or conspiracy theories that blame Jewish people for social and political problems. Thirteen, they may be involved in far white or white supremacist <coughs> groups, attend rallies or events with such groups, or share content associated with these groups on social media. Summary, white Christian, nationalism is, Christian nationalism is dangerous ideology that seeks to impose Christian values on society and views the white race as superior. Its adherents may use coded language, symbols, and phrases to spread their beliefs and may be involved in extremist groups. Recognizing the signs of white Christian nationalism is crucial in preventing its spread and understanding its potential impact on marginalized groups and society as a whole is essential. While rural areas and certain faiths may be more vulnerable to its influence, combating white Christian nationalism requires a collective effort that promotes diversity, inclusivity, and social justice. I'm a terrible reader, I'm a terrible speaker. I just want you guys to think about the people around you. I want you to look around, like on the school board, in your, in your staff, wherever, and just think, are these people associating with these hate groups? Just be aware of it. Thank you. I would like to respond. And oh, just a second. I, I really don't want this to turn into a back and forth comment and, here. And this, this is, is not, but I want to respond. Um, I want to read this. This is, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That is what the Bible represents. Amen. Okay. So, is there anybody else public input? Is there anybody online? Yeah, I have. Okay, I, I'm just going to ask because, in the nature of time here, I want this yep. to be directed to the board. This is going to be very short. And not in response yep. to what's been said today, okay? Yep, absolutely. Um, so, I just wanted to follow up from last time and thank you again for your forbearance with my speech that was a little bit too long last time. This is a copy of the, uh, the Bible in Public Schools. This is a First Amendment guide. And it is um, endorsed by the following organizations, the American Association of School Administrators, the Federal Teacher Union, um, among some others. There's the Anti-Defamation League, and then um, down at the bottom, the uh, National School Board Association, the National Education Association, People for the American Way, and um, et cetera. So just wanted to um, equip you know, anybody who was interested um, in more information about um, the, uh, yeah, the First Amendment uh, that was mentioned earlier. So, uh, thank you. Okay, so, yeah. thank you. I'm Pastor Don Peterson. Um, I am not here as representative of my church. 
simply of my family, but also the church as a whole. Um, I just have something, just real some, something short I want to share with you. Um, 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 I am a white Christian man. I've always been a white Christian man. I am not anti-Semitic. I do not know any racists personally or in my family, which is something considering my family comes from Alabama. Um, and I am, I am appalled that Christians and white Christians would be painted with so broad a brush uh, by groups such as the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is a flaming, liberal, hateful group of themselves. Um, and I am appalled that, that people would denigrate an entire two and a half billion people because there's a few bad apples. Okay? There are anti-Semites, there are racists, but Christians as a whole are good. There's nothing wrong with wanting secure borders. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have our people treated with respect, no matter what creed or um, values they espouse. But this is what I just wanted to share. This, is, um, this came out of last month's meeting that I was disappointed I wasn't able to attend, but these are my thoughts. The argument that the Bible is kinky, a juvenile term in my opinion, is lazy and uninformed. It's lazy because it's easy to cherry-pick quotes from a book to, make, to fit biases and prejudices. For example, Shakespeare's play Romeo and Juliet, Romeo is 16, Juliet is 13. Is Shakespeare espousing murder, suicide, child marriage, and, and um, statutory rape? If we read parts of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet out of context, he's a pervert. You, some books, and there are books like Cheap Erotica that are intended to titillate. Most, including Romeo and Juliet, are meant to be read and understood within a context as they convey a message. The Bible falls under this category as well. The Bible, whether you believe it is God's word or not, is an incredible literary work composed of history, poetry, music, and vivid imagery written over thousands of years. My second point is that to categorize the Bible as kinky or whatever adjective you want to use is uninformed. No other book in history has impacted Western civilization like the Bible. And this isn't because there are, quote, naughty stories in it. It's because the Bible teaches history, corroborated by other sources. It teaches what it means to live a morally upright life and how people, Christian or not, should treat each other speaks to the dignity of all people, white, black, slave, free, adults, children, the unborn, and the dying. The Bible's contents are found throughout great literary works, musical pieces, and art. The Bible's teachings are what led to the first hospitals, the first orphanages, it led to the abolition of slavery, and to the founding of our nation. I am not saying America was founded as a Christian nation. That would make me a white Christian nationalist. 
Rather, what I'm saying is that the founding fathers saw that Judeo-Christian ethics, traditions, and morality are fundamental to a free and functioning society. Without Judeo-Christian society, without the values, you have things like Russia and North Korea and China and the Middle East. Furthermore, an attempt to twist individual stories within the Bible to fit an anti-Christian narrative is to be uninformed. I cannot deny that the Bible has stories that are that reveal that reveal the biblical characters in a terrible light. However, a thorough reading will show that these accounts are not gratuitous; they are not graphic. The Bible does not use stories to glorify crime or immoral behavior. The accounts are simply stated because the purpose of the Bible isn't to arouse or to entertain. It is intended to show mankind at its worst and how Jesus came to fix it through his life, death, and resurrection. While I am obviously a Christian, we need to be honest in these discussions not casting dispersions on entire groups of individuals, for to accuse whites of being Christian nationalists who hate Jews and LGBTQ people is dishonest and unfair. We need to have honest discussions if we are going to have true discussions and meetings of the mind. I appreciate your time. Thank you. I would just like to say, I taught in this school for 38 years, and I don't think there's any student I ever had that would accuse me of being what this gentleman was. Thank you. Okay. Any, any other public input? I will just maybe make a note for um, next meeting. Um, I believe our, I need to look up on our policy, but if you wish to speak to or have a discussion topic on the board agenda, it asks that you contact the office ahead of time. Otherwise, uh, public participation for our policy is going to be limited to 20 minutes at the next meeting, just for no. So um, with that, we will go ahead and move on to our regular agenda. And in the nature of time, I am going to um, ask Chris, I know you have to leave, so we're going to move that even ahead of the rest of the communication. Thank you, Jackie. Yes, you are. So um, I'm here to talk to you guys, answer questions if you have any about the baseball field. And I've just got some pictures here, of some just some things that I want to point out. Um, none of it has anything to do with. Uh, I mean, I don't want to point fingers at anybody. Um, just want to show you guys what it looks like, and and uh, you know, I know that we've had this discussion before. Um, probably a year ago, maybe now, I don't, I don't know when it was, I guess. Um, but there was some concern about giving the property away and there is some concern about some other things uh, that have to do with the school and the city. Uh, but all I want, want you guys to do is just look page by page. The first page you can see, you can't even tell where the infield is. Um, next page is a little bit closer up, uh, sort of the same thing. And if you look at the second page, you can see in the background there's a blue barrel. Look along that blue barrel, that's the east side of the baseball field. That'll be important in a couple of other pictures. 
the third picture you can see the pitcher's mound is in a circle, uh, sort of grass all the way around. We do not have a grass infield, uh, just so you know. Um, fourth picture is uh, the line of railroad ties that sort of, sort of holds up the east side wall. It's, it's falling down. Uh, something's going to need to be done there. Fifth picture, same thing, just a little bit closer up. Um, the sort of biggest concern that I would have of anything at the baseball field is the building that's there, the concession stand and, and uh, restroom storage area. Uh, so you can see a crack uh, in the building. Um, you can see my hand in that crack. Um, the next page, second to the last page, you can see the restroom. This is the men's restroom, just happened to be open. And then the last page is an actual picture of um, the whole men's restroom, so it's a storage area too. So you can just see that the, the facility is not the greatest. That has nothing to do with, with you guys or the school because you guys haven't anything to do with it for many years. Um, you guys do, you know, uh, take care of the property, you mow it. Um, you actually spent about $4,000 getting rid of some trees, maybe five, I don't remember what it was. But So my question to you is just, why do you want to continue to spend money on something that you guys have nothing to do with? Um, and I do understand that there are kids that use it. Um, we feel like we have a, a good substitute for this in Wall Lake yet, and it's got much better um, concession stand, um, restroom area, uh, that kind of thing. So I guess I'll leave you with that. If you guys have any questions, um, feel free to shoot, um, or you can go through Jeff and Jackie and, and get to me. I don't know if you've got any questions right away or not, but. We don't have any, any games there, correct? Nothing that is school affiliated. There are games there, Jim, that um, I believe, uh, and, I'm, and I may be wrong in this, but I believe fourth, fifth, no, fifth, sixth, and seventh, eighth play there. I think it was just, I talked to Brandon, I think okay. it was senior league who played there. because Seventh, was, eighth grade. Yep, it's big enough because right. it, the distance wise, and then we had some t-ball games. So T-ball was there. Those are the only things that were there. That, and I just thought T-ball was there. But I guess they played the senior leagues there. Um, A.D. Wilkie couldn't be here tonight. So he asked me just to let everybody know that if we were to do something with that, they would ask that it be the end of July or later. Um, Next year. Yeah. Next you know, just don't pull it out from under them this summer to senior league. Has been right. Using it, right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Because they're probably planning on doing... Uh, right. something like that this year. And what's the alternative for them to go to? That's what I was just gonna so um, in our complex um, that you guys use already right south of the football field there's a there's a softball field we call it the lower softball field and, and uh, it hasn't been used for a softball field for a couple of years but um, we feel like you know if the city spent about five thousand dollars on that field we'd be able to have something very similar to what they have now. Could you make it into a senior league? That was Brandon's concern so, because if they hit a home run, 200 yard field, that, I think that's where the fence is. Go, it go into the football field. Was his concern? Uh, yeah, and and that would happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but so I don't know exactly what the senior league distances are. This field is is 315 down the lines and 370 in center. So it's a high school, college size field. Um, the field that we're talking about, we could get to 240, 250. Mm -hmm down the left field line, the right field would be plenty far because that goes towards the football field. We could get 
almost 300 feet out of that. Um, that is that would be a concern certainly, um, but. Uh, Brandon also said that if they could work with the school, with the baseball field, they have five home games, is what senior leagues have. So I know he was talking to the AD today and stuff about if they could yeah. coordinate when varsity has their away games, they could have their. So that was another just sure. idea. Right. That they discussed whether, whether that works or not. You know, I, I understand there's going to be some concerns. We've had some mm -hmm. people contact the city and get concerned about taking a baseball field out of, you know, out of a community, um, but. I mean, the pictures clearly show that it's not something that people really care about except for the month of June. I think if they could do something that baseball fields, where they could have practices there, because they'd obviously have practices more often, and then if it wouldn't be suitable for games, and we could work with the, that's always an option, but definitely would need some place for them to have practice. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about the other field, not this one. Yep, uh, yes, yeah. yep, yeah. The lower softball yep, field. Yep, I just don't know if that one's able to be sure. measured up to could. be uh, worse. <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what the measurements are. I don't yeah, I don't know that. exactly either. So. But it'd be similar. Mm -hmm. so, so I think one of the options would be, I think Brent and Jim are on our Buildings and Grounds Committee. We could, one, we could schedule a meeting with you and maybe go look at that other field and just talk about it. Um, certainly we can look at this field. He's right, we haven't used it as a school diamond for a number of years. Um, I agree, right now we're paying to mow, we pay to do some trees, and as far as a district, we're putting money into it. And as a district, we're not um, having any gain, I guess, if I want to say that, other than kids through other types of programs. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we can find alternate programs, that's one thing to talk about. I think the other then would be, you know, what's the the compensation as far as it, are you hoping it's donated? Is there some kind of, you and I talked at one time, if you were trying to develop it, would there be a conversation? Maybe our kids could possibly do it as a learning project of helping support the partial build of a home at some point in time where the kids yeah. could, and again, those would all be details that we could work out if, sure. if we decide to pursue this further. I agree. Yeah, so take this information. If you've got questions, like I said, you, any one of these three can get a hold of me. So I'd propose that Buildings and Grounds maybe sets up a meeting to discuss kind of a game plan. If that's so, if we do that, I would ask that we do that promptly. Okay. We've been yeah. we've been working on that for yeah. about uh, 14 months now, and it hasn't happened. So I'd like to see that done sooner than later like before your next meeting? Um, the one thing that I would say then um, to that, um, I will take some of the blame, but I thought that we were waiting for you to respond back to having a meeting at some point in time, and so we hadn't heard anything for a long time, Chris. Um, okay. Well, I say we, you know, wash all that under the table and we get something set up right now. I think the main point that I've heard tonight is for this year, though, that the school would still plan on using the ball field. And by the time this whole thing would transpire anyway, we're probably talking at least in August or something like that anyway, at the earliest to transfer the property, if that's where it heads. Okay. Yeah, I think we need to make sure that the AD, you know, we have a place to play this year and mm -hmm. work through it. So hopefully that's reasonable. We can work through a game plan. Okay. Not that that's when we have to wait for the meeting. I think you guys so, can still schedule soon. Right. Yeah. Is that something you can vote on tonight? 
No. No, it's, it's just a discussion. Okay. They can schedule the meeting. Yeah, we, can, we, yeah. we don't need to vote on that. No, they can no, just schedule the meeting yeah, with yeah. you guys to meet since it's just the two of them. Yeah. If that works. Yeah. So, Jeff, will you send an email and kind of yeah. coordinate a well, meeting? Well, we can communicate when there can be a time. Okay. That works good for me. Thank okay. you very Thank much. You. All right. Thanks, Thanks Chris. All right, we are going to jump back up to John, Board Secretary. Yeah, financial reports in your packet. Any highlights? Maybe you have a chance to look at it. No, I'd say the general fund is just holding its own. I think it's a little bit positive this month, a little bit negative last month. So, um, and then of course the construction fund. We spent a lot of money out of the last year, mm -hmm. but no, that's. All right, I don't think we have any correspondence, uh, so I believe now we will go ahead and open the calendar hearing. All right, part of approval of a calendar is to conduct a hearing. Uh, the calendar, we, we have one earlier that proposed weekly in service, not well received. Uh, then we changed a calendar that has. Um, full day in service, approximately a month apart. Most of them are on Mondays. A few of them connect to breaks. Um, so the students might get an extra day off, but the staff would come back on uh, around the, the break around Christmas and the break in the spring. Um, I personally have only received one comment. I think the board got that comment too wondering why we don't have a full week of spring break in the, be about this time in March. And the committee, we talked about that, and the committee still would prefer keeping just a couple of days, um, I think three days, as opposed to the full week for a couple reasons. One, it currently is in the handbook when those spring breaks are, so you'd have to change a handbook, which could be done. But a long time ago, that was something that was negotiated when that was a negotiable item with the staff. Uh, two, if you make the spring break a full week long, what it does is it gives you no flexibility. The last day of school, I think if I remember on this calendar, would have been the Friday then before Memorial Day. So that doesn't give you any flexibility in case of snow days and things like that where you might miss school. So they would prefer to at least give us a little bit of flexibility. Now, I will tell you, in legislation this year, and I have been doing a lot of emailing to our legislators. I can't believe that, but I have. Uh, one of the pieces in the flexibility law change is that they may allow you to do five days of virtual learning for makeup. I personally am opposed to that because I didn't think it was very effective when we did it through COVID, but... Uh, that may become a law that you might be able to use that if it gets approved. So, uh, this is really, I've given a general overview. This is really for the public if they have questions about the calendar. And then later in the agenda is when the board's going to act on the calendar. Is there anything online? Thank you. Yeah, just double check it. Four or five people, but I don't think they're. I appreciate the extra time before conferences. That was nice that's in there. For next year? Yeah, 20 minutes before the first conference is not enough time. So it was nice to see that. Any other 
comments on the calendar? If not, we will go ahead and close the calendar hearing and move on to administrative reports. I know, Becky, I believe you attached your report. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to highlight or any questions for her. What questions do you have? Uh, the one item is it a discussion item where we talk about kindergarten TK. So she had some yep. notes about that, but that's a discussion. So we bought the walk-in coolers and freezers for both kitchens this year. You can do that. In the audit process, they're saying, though, you can do that, but they're not supposed to be walk-in because those are attached to the building. So if that's true, we may end up having to pay for that out of some of those extra dollars that we borrowed. We wouldn't be able to pay for that out of the hot lunch. It's what we pay for them out of currently. When I go over the audit, I'm going to describe why that's not a great thing for us because of our hot lunch balance. It's, it's, going, it's already high and it's going to be too high if we end up having to do that. Uh, but we'll find out after the audit uh, what they tell us about our hot lunch program. I don't really have anything else. All right, then we'll move on to discussion items. So the second item on the list is kindergarten TK. Okay, so a number of years uh, the Schools have created transitional type kindergarten programs for their schools. Um, I can tell you I've had this similar type of conversation a few years ago in a former district that I worked at. Uh, the idea of the transitional kindergarten, and Becky can help fill in, what, as I understand it was, for, it was for students who maybe had a late birthday, students who maybe academically weren't quite as far along as some of the rest of the students in kindergarten. So we have this transitional kindergarten. Now from a, from a state point of view, transitional kindergarten or kindergarten, they're still considered kindergarten. And transitional kindergarten would be described as a retention program because generally if you're in TK, you're going to go to kindergarten the following year and then up through the system. The issue has become uh, for a few reasons. One, uh, numbers. And as I understand it, in this district, the district has allowed the parent to decide whether or not a child would go to TK or kindergarten. So it's been a parental decision. 
in looking at, and they haven't had their meeting yet, but in just looking at numbers, it looks like we would have a small TK again of 10 to 12 students making kindergarten sections 25, 26, 27, not counting anybody who might move in. And as Becky's talked to me a number of times, seems like all the largest classes tend to have the classes where we have the move-ins. <laughs> and so the question is this, do you maintain a TK type program or do you just shift it to three sections of kindergarten? And if you did maintain a TK program, I think to maintain some balance between the kindergarten numbers and TK, we can't have a section with 10 or 12 and another two sections with 26 or 27. So how do we, maybe it becomes more input between the parents and the school then, it's not strictly a parental decision, or do we just say, no, we're going to have a kindergarten and kids get intermixed in kindergarten just like they do in first grade and second grade. So I filled in some of the holes. I'll let you maybe describe some of the things that I've missed, and then maybe we have some. I think that's here. it. I think we're in the, I mean, last year we advertised for, we were looking for a third kindergarten teacher. We would have had three sections, but we weren't able to fill that position. So we put those in two large sections this year. Um, and it's, it's, at that, when they're five, it's just, I mean, it's challenging matter the age, but the older you get, the easier it is to have larger sections, I'd say. Um, and even our class classroom, I mean, we have a few, the middle room is large, um, and our early childhood wing is large, but those outside rooms are smaller, so you get just more bodies in a smaller space, so. I guess one of my questions, just because younger kids on. Yeah. I know when my had my third boy and there was that talk about kindergarten and TK and if they weren't gonna have TK, would they have the option to go to kindergarten twice then? Yes. That there that would option would be there if they took away TK yes. and had my yeah. TK. Yeah, in another district we didn't have the transitional mm -hmm. option and that. And they could do kindergarten yeah. twice if they wanted to. And you take the kids that would, would make up the TK class and they would be dispersed evenly among yes. the three, so it's not a right. de facto TK class. Right. Yes. I mean, I guess what is what. I mean, I have done TK with two of my boys and potentially with my third one. Mm -hmm. I guess I feel like it's a benefit, the TK, um, mm -hmm. for especially those younger kids, because um, it is a lot. So I guess I don't know. And please input on what, if we had got rid of the TK class, what would it look like? Or is that like something that it's like you just don't think that that's beneficial? I mean, I guess I want to ask you guys, you guys are the professionals on this. Like, I'm planning on putting one of my kids in TK because I like that transition. Um, again, I've, my, I had four boys. So my second boy went through TK. He was one of the um, COVID kindergartens. And I feel like he's behind because they miss... Kindergarten is such a big thing. If you don't get kindergarten and you go on first, you're going to struggle, I feel like. That's just my opinion. Um, and I feel like that happened with my third boy. No fault of anyone's COVID hit. But um, my third boy, I feel like he's doing good in kindergarten. Like He had that transitional, and it was good for him to have kind of an eye-opener for some of those kids. He's a younger birthday. I mean, he's he's July. Um, and then I plan on doing the same with my with my fourth boy. I'm done after that. <laughs> but I just, I guess I, I like that transition. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's interesting when we look at the data. Traditionally, it is lopsided with boys. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're just born in June, July, and August, or what? Well, I feel like a lot of people do always say boys just don't catch on as quickly as some girls. I mean, not that I think that's for all of them, but um, girls, I feel like, are more in tune because school boys are like, oh, school, what's that? But I don't know. So from the staff, just curious, if we did go to three kindergarten sections instead, what does that look like? Would it be possible to add a third section of kindergarten and keep the TK for those that need it? If we were, yeah, if we were okay to do that last year mm -hmm. with had less kids, what makes us not be able to do that next year with more kids? I guess that's my question. For me, it's a financial question. Even though we did look at it last year um, and we weren't able to find staff, it still becomes a financial issue uh, again for us when, when we offer raises that we've offered. Um, everything else that we're trying to do just like you as families but because the next year we're going to have the same problem because we need to add a preschool teacher next year because the numbers because the numbers big. are getting bigger again and is it is it best for the kids that we base this decision just on financial yeah. i didn't base it just but to me it is a financial question too we still have we still have an obligation as a district we can only spend a certain amount of dollars and so that's one of the things as a district that they have to be able to monitor is that they can't, it's a code violation to spend more than what they're allowed to spend. Right, but you didn't hire a couple teachers last year because you couldn't find them, which happens. But what happened to those budgets from those teachers? That you, you heard hire? John earlier, our budget is basically we're running neck and neck between revenues and expenditures. Last year, we over, the year prior, we did overspend when I go through the audit. So it's not like we're gaining dollars. Uh, it went into salary increases. It went into all the other expenses that increased for COVID, just like people had utility costs and everything else that went up. School had the same types of expenditure increases as a district. Can I re-ask re the question in a different way? Between the options, okay, leaving that aside, between the options, of having three kindergarten classrooms or having one smaller classroom that's TK and two very large classrooms of kindergarten, from your opinion, which one's easier to manage from an education perspective? I'm not a kindergarten, I'm not a TK, but I am a fourth grade teacher and I can promise you smaller class sizes when they're little transfers up to when they're big. That, that, there is no disputing that for me. Um, I can handle 25 in my classroom a lot easier than they can handle 25 in theirs. So, 20 is a lot. 20, 20 is a lot, lot. 25 of kids. Yeah. I just wanted to put it out there that like, I've had 24 kiddos all year. Um, and right now, and we're in March, I have 15 kids on progress monitoring for letter sounds, 13 for fat fluency, and seven emergent readers. And that number has actually gone down to where it was even a month ago. It's extremely hard to meet all their needs. And the fact that some of those kids that are really good kids, they're doing well, 
they can't get my attention, nor can I like actually have time to be with them because I'm either teaching or doing intervention. And I feel like that's all I've been doing the last couple months is trying to get those kids where they need to be, but I can't do it all. It's, it's a lot of how I'm for kids. And I have special, special education needs as well. And the two kiddos I have are pretty high on that spectrum. So they take a lot of like, my associates are basically with them and that's pretty much it. Um, so it is very difficult. So the smaller the class size, whatever has to be done, I would greatly appreciate it. And I think it's better for our kids. Like I have a couple that have behaviors. And when <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I had lots of kids sick, like seven of them. <laughs> it was a stomach flu. Those few days that those kids were sick, there was a huge difference in my classroom. The behaviors were less, things were calmer. Even if you have 18 or 19, it's just it's easier to work with, easier to meet all the needs that we do have. Um, I can kind of speak a little bit to that. I actually wrote an entire page. Um, just speaking on academics in TK, um, I know that TK works because we've been tracking the data for the last three years. Um, the last three years we've been pushing in for math interventions and pushing in for reading interventions and I pulled up the data today based on my kids that are in kindergarten and well two years sorry kindergarten and first grade and only five of my kids are at risk now in reading that I've passed on through kindergarten and first grade that have been in my TK program and two in math so it works. And right now, I mean, I can tell you right now, I have 11 at risk right now. And by the end of the year, before I send them to kindergarten, when they test for kindergarten next year, they won't be at risk. So I know it works, but I know if I have 20, 25 kids, it won't work. Small groups, of six kids, seven kids, eight kids, is not a small group. That's a large group when you're five. Um, that's why we have to push interventions in. I have a math interventionist that comes in every day for an hour. She does a group, I do a group, because you, you can't expect five-year-olds to do a small group by themselves. They can't do it independent, because once you practice it wrong, you do it wrong. So you have to have an adult with each group. I can't expect six five-year-olds to do something by themselves for 20 minutes because it's not happening. Um, and then to transition to another group and to transition again. I mean, we do two and a half hours straight, well not straight, but in different increments of literacy, ELA, phonics, and phonemic awareness a day in my room, an hour and a half of math a day in my room, 45 minutes of directed social-emotional learning a day in my room. That's a minimum. They don't get that much in kindergarten. It's an hour, an hour, and I don't, you don't get any directed social-emotional learning no, other than maybe 15 minutes a morning meeting. We get that 45 minutes a day. I um, added a curriculum just to try and help with that because I had so many students that were struggling with social-emotional regulation where we couldn't even do center time because that's when we were having the extreme behaviors.
Um, at one point I had 40% of my kids in my room that were on like a check-in, check-out behavior intervention, which is a tier two, not, not anything out of control by any means. But now that's down to one, which is hugely manageable. I mean, very manageable. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had 25 kids or 20 because that takes 100% attention all the time. And if you put 20 kids in a room, you can't have that. Um, I just, like, like Dallas said, 20 kids in a room is completely different than 20 kids in a room at fifth grade. Those kids are independent. 20 kids at five years old is not independent. Well, and I will I'll go off of what you're talking about, though. When you can reach the success that you're reaching, and then you put them into a situation of 26 kids that they get to kindergarten, I'll keep it clean, but it falls apart. Like, it falls, all the work you did falls apart when you don't have that continual small group and even then, when you get to fourth grade, do I see the, the shakedown of that happening? Absolutely, it does fall. But that young, you just have to have a smaller space for that success foundation to happen. And I can speak off of Dallas. As the, one of the specials teachers, I saw the TK last year getting put into the bigger groups this year. And some of the kids that were really well behaved in TK last year are starting to act out in kindergarten Very because they're so. being able to fly under the radar and get away with things because their groups are so big. Yeah, very much so. Well, I guess, you know, I'm, I totally understand what you're saying as far as small classrooms. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I wish there was a way, honestly, I wish there was a way we could have one to ten ratio for every kid in this building. That is not financially possible. It's just not. And that's not something that we as a board control. That's way outside of our reign as far as we just have to do the best <coughs> we can with the resources that we have. And as you look at this, if you think about, I'm going to play the flip side here. So you've got one, one classroom that's got 1 to 10 ratio, and you've got two classrooms that went 1 to 26. As a parent, if I was in that 1 to 26 and I've got a kid over here, that doesn't seem fair either because those kids are getting less and less attention. So. I guess from the perspective of looking at it both ways, to me, it would make sense to try and split these in three even groups if, we, if that's where we're at from a financial position. I, I, I don't want to downplay what you're saying. I know you guys are all putting in all the effort that you can with each one of these kids. I just I don't know how to make it work with the finances that we are given and the amount of income that we are given per student. I just I guess probably our biggest question is, we, I, we don't really understand why last year we were told hire another kindergarten teacher and we could have three kindergartens and a TK. And this year we have more kids coming in and now we can't hire a third one. And next year we have, or yeah, the following year we have more kids coming in again. So there's going to be even bigger classrooms. So we're gonna be at, you know, those same huge numbers again. So then, am I going to move back down to TK the next year? Because that's not okay to move back and forth, back and forth. And I, I probably won't do it. 
So that means leave, losing another teacher because of the changes. And <coughs> would you be able to replace another teacher? I think that's a question we all have right now is can we replace any teachers? I mean, Not just here. I mean, I mean anywhere. That's, that's, a that's part of that culture that we're trying to, you know, we did a whole culture thing today. And I know of six, seven teachers that are looking, you know. In class size today, we did a roses and thorns thing. In class size, 100%. Very common thread. And behaviors was the other. And, you know, in reality, if we posted for five, six positions today, I doubt we'd fill them all. Even if we had the money, I don't know if we'd fill them all. Even if we had the opportunity, it would allow us to try and reach out. I mean, we were hired last year, and there was three that quit, which is crazy that all three in the same grade decided to leave. But I would really appreciate even the opportunity to try and find another person to have that third section. Yeah, I guess my question is, if we could find the money somehow, why can't we at least try to fill the position? Try. Because there's no hurt in trying. What, I, what I'm hearing is, and I understand also, but what I'm hearing is then the following year kindergarten and first grade need the extra section because of the small class size. That's where I'm at. We can't continue to do that. Um, or we, again, we make choices about other types of programming across the district, what becomes more important to us. Um, and that's the conversation I have administratively almost every week. You know, one of the things we could look at are where, where do we have three sections right now, where do we have two sections? Maybe it's when they get to higher that they're going to be in larger class sizes and then the smaller grades. I mean, at some point we have to have a trade-off of what can we fiscally afford. So what data do you need as board members? I don't understand. I, I am not a claim to the financial pieces, but I'm curious on, like, I don't know our numbers before because I'm not in it, but money comes with more kids, right? So how many kids does it take to offset a salary? I, just because I don't know, I'm not trying to, like, start. I just am curious if it's, is it 10 more kids? Kids, just a, a break even when yeah. you talk about the teacher costs. Okay. Then you have all the other costs that are associated with it. How many more kids are slated for to come in next year? So what do we have now? We have 46, so we have 15. 61. 61. Becky, we have no extra. That's, Becky, that's on the, you have a meeting in a couple weeks, it says, or a week? Mm -hmm. Yes, in a week. What additional information would you have for us in April, if any, after that meeting? Well, I think the... the Anything that's going to change this is what I'm asking. Probably not. Just if the number of people that would be interested in TK, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, to like try to even that, you know, to maintain that option for parents, I think, is that idea of been an option for parents in this district. It's not an option in every district, but it's been one in this. So it's, it's got some history behind it. How, how does it work if it's not an option? 
if it's more the school saying that you're going to be a TK, not necessarily parent option. What's the question again? Like in, in the other districts where you said it's not just a parent's option, like the school indicates who's going to well, be a Well, there's just no TK. It's just kindergarten. It's just what kindergarten. I heard. Okay. In um, one of my districts that I worked at, the oh, district made so more so of the decision than the parents, so the district had a large voice who was going to kindergarten, who was going to TK. Here, the parents have had the greater voice. Yeah, I mean, like, they do a check thing where you can check it, so, like, yeah, they do, which that there's helps. Teacher, there's teacher but, recommendation. Yes, but I'll be honest, there are parents that, no, nope, my kid's doing that. I mean, yeah. and I, and I guess I would have a hard time if somebody said, I'm going to kindergarten, and we said, oh, we need you in TK, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I guess I'm a believer that parents are a big, have a big say in one of the struggles that we face right now, we have some sections that are two, some sections that are three. Yes. And so when you have a section of two and then you have just what you talked about, we have some teachers that need to move to a different section then yeah. because of where our enrollment lies. It's not an even 60 kids in every grade. Some you got this and this and so uh, it fluctuates. Um, and, and that's difficult for staff too because, you know, I might want to teach first or kindergarten and uh, I don't get to because of the enrollment in a different grade. So then we have that decision of moving people around. I think that would be, <coughs> be handy to see just a breakdown of kids by, by grade level, how many sections that we do have, and then mm -hmm. kind of their point incoming the next couple of years, what we think it's going to be. I mean, it is kind of a shuffle game at that point, but being able to understand that better helps make the decision. One of the difficulties I'm having right now too is just having a preschool teacher. So we've got a large number of, enough for three sections and I don't have a teacher for that third section, so we're having we that preschool. We do Yes. And we have that. We're having the preschool meeting tomorrow night and we're starting to think creatively like what if what if we can't? I don't know. That's with the um, Head Start coming in? Those numbers are with the, the three and yeah. four year olds? Because right now you don't have the Head Start. They stay at Kids World, right? Because we, right, yep. we have okay. a teacher and we could serve them. But we have more coming in next okay. year, signed, currently signed up. So okay. whether it be a waiting list that some are on that they're not because we can only serve so many, or I know Lori and I have been talking about some other creative thinking we could do if we want to try to serve them all, but it wouldn't be as many days maybe, because we'd have to have Do we have any applications for that? I have, no, we had one that declined. For kind of some personal reasons, so. So what I'm hearing, Jim requesting, though, if you could get us, no, how many sections of what we currently have of mm -hmm. kindergarten, first, second, third, how many students and number of teachers. Wait a minute, do we think this is a trend? I mean, a positive trend from an enrollment standpoint, a community growth standpoint. Of we need to have, I mean, as they kind of progress up and need to have three sections, I mean, do we see that being a long-term need of expanded 
sections for each grade level. I mean, I need to see numbers. Our count this year was up 20-some. That doesn't mean 20-some kindergartners. That's 20-some right. in the whole district spread out. So when you look at that, that's only one to two per grade. Right. Um, so I just think we need some data about what we look at for numbers, um, number sections, and then we can continue to have this discussion. Is there any other information anybody wants for Thank you. the next? Uh, one question, this is maybe way, way out there. Does TK have to be a full-day program? No, it does not have to be. So if you're looking to hire another preschool teacher to do one section, right? Could you do, am I completely off base in this half-day preschool, half-day TK? It's possible. If you got that hired. If you can find the person, it's possible. Might be a pretty special person. But we got a lot of those, so. Collective. <laughs> uh, just trying to think outside the box. I mean, yeah, that's. The only. Had this discussion before, too. One of the issues becomes then you got transportation in the middle of the day for a group of kids, so you spend some money on transportation anyway. Um, but yeah, if we had preschool numbers where I warranted a half time, maybe it's something that you could connect. I just think we just, like you say, I think we need a little more data. Um, we'll continue to provide you some financial data of where we are. I'm not trying to, it's, it's not like our unspent balance is growing. I mean, that's the discouraging part for me because I wanted that to, um, be better than where we are. Because I really think the board, I mean, if we could keep it where it's at, like that's, like maintaining is maybe just even the goal, not even raising, but that's going to be a challenge in itself in looking at the budget projections and the numbers and where they lie. So I, yeah. And again, it's a district question. We've, this district has prided itself a long time for many vocational offerings. But it's also difficult to afford vocational offerings where I don't have a teacher in front of at least 12 kids a period. So if I've got sections of twos and threes and fours, that just doesn't financially make it either. So it, I think we almost got to look at it, a whole K-12 system. Um, With that said, is it possible <coughs> to get enrollment in like just different avenue, different classes, even at the high school level, just to see, you know, as we look through, I think it's important that we look at the big picture here, because it's, you have to make a decision one way or the other, and just looking at one piece of it, I don't think is going to be fair going forward. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you do that, but just. Well, I can get that from the council pretty easily. Okay. Anything else on that topic? So as of right now, if nothing else would change, what are you guys proposing? Are you proposing three kinders and no TK? Or what, like as of right now, if nothing changes, what are you thinking? I don't think there's anything they're wanting any more data would be my opinion. Yeah. So I, I wished I could give you a better answer, but until we get some more data, I don't. We're not proposing a change as of right now, okay? But we're proposing to examine some more data. 
Thank you for the input, though. Yes, was, appreciate the information. A good education. <laughs> you guys are seriously heroes, too. We appreciate you a lot. I know how much trouble my two little ones are. <laughs> I can't imagine 25 of them. <laughs> All right, we will move on to the consent items. I think we have minutes, bills, wellness policy. The AEA purchase agreement. Which that's an annual thing that we do about this time every year. Then you also have an early graduation request and a few SACAD foundation members appointed. Dallas is one of them. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Unless there are questions, I recommend approval with the consent. So moved. Second. Motion and a second to approve the consent items. All of those in favor? Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Budget estimate. All right, so really we're going to be setting the budget hearing so that, remember, the normally you have to have it done by the 15th of April, but there was a mistake made in figuring property tax rates, so they've extended that to the 30th. So our next board meeting is the 17th, so I'm recommending that we hold our budget hearing on April 17th. When we talked about this a month or so ago, it looked like the rate would be roughly $11.69 or $0.70. As the state's been cleaning up that error, right now it looks like the rate would be roughly $11.76, barring any more changes from the Department of Management. Anyway, I'm recommending that the budget hearing be held on April 17th here at the, high, at the Junior High High School building beginning at 6 o'clock. Any discussion? All right, Second. Motion and a second to hold the budget hearing on April 17th at the high school in Lakeview at 6 p.m. All of those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? <clears throat> Motion carries. School ne calendar. Yep. Next is the calendar. So this calendar um, is the one that we talked a little bit about in the hearings. First day of school would be the 23rd of August. Um, has full day in services again approximately once a month. Generally they're on Mondays. Um, a three-day spring break and as opposed to a full week of spring break. I received only one comment um, that wanted a full week of spring break. Other than that, I did not receive other comments about this proposal. I haven't heard anything <clears throat> since our last meeting. I have not either. I, mean, I haven't heard anything about this one. I know they didn't like the first one proposed. Yeah. I will make a motion to approve this current version of the school calendar. I'll second. Motion and a second to approve the 2023-24 school calendar. All of those in favor? Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. A couple of years ago, we got into a risk pool for our natural gas expenditures. And so instead of paying that for out of the general fund, uh, we are able to pay for that out of the management fund. Uh, John received a call a week or so ago that this year they mischarged us. And it should have been more. And remember when we approved it last year, it hardly went up. And we thought, man, that's a great deal. Well, it was a great deal, and it is a great deal. Um, they are not going to go back and make us pay the difference. What? They aren't. <laughs> but okay. this year, to, to heat the three buildings, it cost us 85000 Next year, to go down to two buildings, it's going to cost us 95000 are you sure they're not going to get me? Yeah, they're going to get us up there. This comes back a year later. Wow. 
So anyway, I recommend that we continue to do this because again, it does free up dollars from our general fund um, and we pay for this out of a, the management fund. They're not just getting, I mean, the, the rates had to have gone up for the whole oh, everybody, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that's the deal. Right. Oh, right. I was going to say, because yeah, the math don't make sense. Yeah. $10,000 difference from well, one of three buildings to two. They wouldn't give me an exact number, but this year should have probably been 120 or 110. Really? Is it in our conversations. They didn't give me a number, but, but they said that uh, the 95 would have been a reduction if they would have calculated last year correctly. This is important, though, because we're not paying to heat the middle school building, so we need to figure a plan of disposing that before next winter because then that would become an increased expense right. out of the general fund because we didn't put it in the management fund. I recommend approval of the government risk pool um, with the natural gas. So moved. Second. Motion and a second. All of those in favor? Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Audit report. All right. This is like my favorite night of the world. <laughs> no, it's not quite my favorite. So every year schools are required to do an annual audit. That happens sometime in the summer. We just received our audit back here uh, recently. Uh, one of the things that I always tell the board every year is I am not an accountant, so I give you what I know about the audit. I also ask you simply to accept the audit that uh, that you have received it. So a couple of highlights that I want to share with the board if you can if you got your computer fine otherwise um, when you get home on page six um, the general fund revenues last year decreased from ten million eight hundred thousand in fiscal year 21 to ten million five hundred and sixty thousand in fiscal year 22 so right away we had approximately um, a $200,000 swing just in revenues between 21 and 22. General fund expenditures <coughs> at the same time increased from $10,250,000 in 21 to $10,600,000 in 22. So our expenditures went up by $350,000. Some of that's related to COVID funds and some ESSER dollars. <coughs> Um, just it didn't go up 350 just on its own. Our general fund balance, though, did decrease from 1,547,000 to 1,522,000. Now this is simply just talking about cash. And while cash is important, as board members, I hope you've heard me say this a number of times. That is not the most important factor. Your unspent balance is more important than your cash balance. You can fix <coughs> cash it's more difficult to fix an unspent balance. <clears throat> On page 11, the hot lunch program. So we received all sorts of support, again, from COVID. So the school nutrition fund net position increased from $129,000 to $386,000 or almost a 200% increase. This will be one of the things when we have the audit that they'll look at because you're only supposed to maintain a balance of three months. We have far more than three months 
balance in the hot lunch program. Remember I said if, uh, at the beginning of the meeting, so we paid for coolers and freezers out of the hot lunch program. If they make us transfer that back to the hot lunch program, this balance is only going to go higher. So that is a concern. I wish that was our general fund people, but it's not. It's the hot lunch program. Can we hire a TK teacher? And just Maybe. Her? I don't know. Just call it a cookbook. Maybe. That's creative finance. Yeah. How long do you think the next audit we find? Next yeah. A <laughs> um, couple more things that I want to point out to you. You have to look at a couple of different pages, but there's something called a solvency ratio that I talk about every year at this time. And a solvency ratio is simply this. If for some reason ESAC had to close its doors, could they pay off all the debt that they owned? So could we pay teachers that we own? Could we pay any other bills that we own? So there's a formula, and it basically takes your unrestricted fund balance, and you divide that by total revenues minus AEA flow through. So our solvency ratio um, declined slightly. We were 11 point, I think in my notes I have it, 11.7% a year ago, or two years ago, and last year uh, we ended up at 11.1. So our solvency declined. That means our cash position went down slightly. That's part of the reason when you approve this budget, I'm asking you to backfill special ed and those SBRC requests. The other couple things to think about. Our activity fund on page 55, maybe. 55. Many, yeah, on page 55, many of our, our sporting events, so when we're talking baseball, softball, basketball, football, and those types of things, they run negative. We don't run positive balances in them. One of the requirements that John has to do with the, for the audit is that he must, we must zero those out. So we transfer funds from other activity accounts to zero them out. And then I think you put a negative again. Is that how you do it at the end of the year? You put them back. Yeah, we put them back to what their real balances are. But, so you can see in, um, like, I'll just use baseball, for example. We brought in $3,400 in revenue, and we spent $7,500 in baseball. Softball, we brought in $4,200 in revenue, and we spent $10,000. So that is, a, that is a concern for me, is how do we make our activities at least closer to solvent as opposed to uh, running in the red. And so I think that's something to address in the future. And I don't think raising activity ticket prices is going to change a lot of that. Um, you know, during COVID, we, we started broadcasting games. Would there be a way, if you're going to continue to broadcast, that you could get some revenue off of that broadcasting? I'm not sure. Uh, but most of our, most of our uh, um, activity accounts that are sporting events um, operate in the negative. So this ain't like college where football pays for the whole. Football does pay for something because that one is one sport that uh, did operate with a revenue. Um, and then basketball. No, no, basketball did not. It was only football, it looks like to me. Yeah. 
when when you when John publishes the budget here for that April 17th meeting, we have ca four categories that you have to pub publish the budget in. You have to publish numbers within each of those categories that are high enough that you don't overspend the amount that you publish. So one of the comments in the audit report is, did you publish a budget that had expenditures less than what you certified? And the answer was yes. So that's a positive that we were able to do that. And then the last part of of the audit are the findings and they're at the very end starting on page 67 and so those things talk about segregation of duties and again for me there hasn't been a school that I've ever worked at that hasn't had that as a comment that we don't have enough segregation of duties. Um, as far as the findings they were overall very positive. Um, they uh, you know, you don't have, they didn't find any expenditures that were questionable. Um, I think there was a variance in our count, so we, have, they, we had to amend. There was 1.1 students who were off when we did the count, so that was an amendment that was made. Oh. Categorical funds, so I talked a little bit, this goes back to Brent's question. Yes, you're not supposed to use the hot lunch for general fund things. They found no instances of us doing that. Um, we got a whole year. <laughs> what are they fighting? <laughs> do you remember probably close to 20 years ago the small school that the DE closed? No, I do not. You do not? Well, that's one of the things that caught them. They were using like Pebble and other funds when, in the categories they weren't supposed to. Yeah. Did they close them in one year? Did it take them? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long it took, but they did close them been two in the state. So I uh, recommend that you would accept the audit um, with two cautions. One, I think continue to op watch the activity accounts and two, we're gonna have to figure something out with our hot lunch. So on the activity, has that always been an issue where? Recently, I'd say. Last 10 years. Okay. So we, as, as a district, we've had um, investments that, that were in the activity fund so we're okay you know we've been able to use our um, saved money for that it's not like general where you have a unspent balance you can spend what you got in the activity um, so we still have a CD for 40,000 a CD for 20 and I think one for six don't quote me on that but that's close um, so we're not broke but obviously we're spending more than we're making so I think what Jeff's saying is he doesn't want to leave us thinking that everything's fine and dandy when it's probably not. I think so. Having a discussion now before using right. all that. What do others, I mean, like, I guess that's probably a whole other thing, but what do others I think it's a common say? issue right now. Okay. It's at least an aisle from what okay. I've heard. Jeff, have you heard that from other students? The more successful your programs are, you'll get larger crowds. So if we continue to have more successful programs, that's a benefit to us. Um, I can only speak to the two districts I'm serving. We're in the same conversation in the other mm -hmm. district right now, though. Mm -hmm. I'll move to accept the findings of the audit. Second. Motion a second to accept the audit report. All of those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Personnel. Because we're going to approve the master contract and everything, yeah. let's just do resignation. So we have uh, 
mainly it's uh, support staff, right? Mm -hmm. Cook and some associates. I'd recommend approval of the resignations as listed. I didn't miss anybody there, did I, John? No, we have Bonnie as a cook, uh, Nancy Cornelius, Queen Salzman, Amanda Moeller, and Sarah Becker as associates. <coughs> Move to approve resignations. Second. Motion and a second to approve the resignations. All of those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. I'd like to thank, uh, if any of you are association members, I'd like to thank members of the association as well as John, Brent, and Jackie as part of the negotiations team. Overall, uh, I think we've come up with fair negotiations for both sides. So um, following the last board meeting, we met with the association uh, that we would move the base by $375 to $34,125. That does not include uh, teacher salary supplement. I know that's all complicated, but there's another, I don't know the exact number, six or seven thousand. Correct, another $7,000. $1,000 that gets added to each teacher's salary to that base number then, okay. Um, we have in our past um, a salary schedule that has increments and those increments are $960. At some point in the schedule, that's a full increment. At some point in the schedule, there were half increments. And so what we did this year, if a person was out a half increment, we gave them two steps basically. So they got the full increment. So everybody got the 960 that is for their step, plus what we added to the base. There's a longevity step on the schedule here. And so once you hit longevity, that's a 10% step, so that's a, it's a large step, but that's at the, near the very end of the schedule. Um, even though insurance is not something that uh, is negotiable anymore, um, we did have an increase of insurance this year at 4.2%, and so that's something that the district um, is picking up, not passing that on. Uh, so for a district, the total cost for just teachers is just shy of $150,000 by the time we do the step increase, add to the base, um, or 3.2%. Uh, if you're a full-time teacher, what that means, you're going to get approximately a $2,000 raise, might be slightly less than that. And if you're a part-time teacher, you're going to get a prorated amount. And for those teachers who have hit longevity and gone beyond it, their raise is going to be approximately fifteen hundred dollars. Um, Grant, Jackie, or John, did I miss anything from what our conversations were? I don't think so. so, once the board approves that, there's also a listing in there of teacher contracts to be approved for next year, as well as Schedule B. Those are those coaching and other extra duty type contracts. So we would recommend that you would approve the list of teachers, Schedule B contracts, as well as the master contract, which has um, our master contract, basically. The only thing you have to do by law is to negotiate base salary. And our base salary is 34125 then. I made a mistake on the Schedule B. Oh, um, that's right. We need to cross off Greg Viegas, head girls golf. He gave that up last spring. And I didn't get him off my list, so if you cross that one off. Any other discussion on that? 
motion. So you have a motion for the master contract schedule and schedule B? As well as uh, to offer those certified staff contracts. I will make a motion to approve master contract with schedule A and B and the certified staff contracts. Second. Motion and a second. All of those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. So this does include one new staff member, Andrea Harms, who would be the middle school uh, band or instrumental teacher. It also included, well, I should, I want to clarify, it included Jody Reese, remember she resigned? She would come back part-time, so she'll come back three-quarters time. And Nancy um, Stark, um, is Stark Stammer? Yeah, Stark. 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 Nancy Stark, she resigned. She would also be willing to come back, but with the understanding she's not planning to do special education. <laughs> she would come back in that middle school math opening that we have. And so I told her that, that we, I would make that clear to the board that it would be for a middle school math. Um, I, she wanted me to mark on the contract that it would be that. I said, no, we mark every contract as a teacher. If for some reason it's not going to be that in the future, then you'll have to decide that with the, the future board and the administration. Um, but her intention would be to be a gen ed teacher as opposed to a special ed teacher. Sharing contracts. So we have three sharing contracts to approve tonight. Each of these are with our WEBA. One is for the superintendent, one is for a human resource director, and uh, one is for a business manager. Those create operational sharing for the district. Um, again, the legislation is working at in increasing the total from 21 to 25. I've not heard that that's been finalized yet. This would give us, and they also were looking to increase the HR and business manager back to five from four. So this would give you 19 if that happens. Okay. I'll make a motion we approve the sharing contracts. Second. Motion and a second to approve the sharing contracts. All of those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Motion carries. All right. We are down to board reports, future agenda items. So one would be fees, um, and those would be like hot lunch, activity ticket, those kinds of fees, driver ed. We'll have support contracts. Um, the only administrative contract that we have left would be Becky. And, um, and our therapist. Yep, and the therapist. Uh, we have our TLC extra duty type coaches, so that'll be part of what we'll look at for next, next month also. Any and other? budget. Sorry. Oh, budget, okay. yes. Any other? Agenda items, discussion items back on those two? The, the TK, TK, yes. And then the baseball field? Yes, if we get a meeting ahead of that, we can talk about baseball field. If nothing else, I'd entertain a motion to adjourn. I'll make a motion to adjourn. Second. All of those in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you.